On this episode of the After the Timeout podcast, in partnership with the Illinois Basketball Coaches Association, we welcome Nick Legalbo, head boys basketball coach at Lane Tech and USA basketball coach. We talked to Coach Legalbo about winning internationally in three-on-three, maintaining success in your high school program for years, coaching in the city of Chicago, and much more. As always, thank you for listening to the After the Timeout podcast. All right, so we start every segment with the uh, opening tip. So we wanted to talk to you about, you know, you at Lane Tech, right? You graduated from there, went off to Benedictine, went went back to Lane Tech, and you've never left, okay? Mm-hmm. So we wanted to ca- talk about, you know, kind of what made you return there? Uh, what made you stay all this time? Obviously, what's so special special about Lane? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Um, you know, the first part of it is actually kind of funny. I don't think it was ever really my plan. Um, I know some people probably, I, I know a lot of my, my buddies and people have joked about that, but when I left Lane and I graduated as a student, I kind of thought that was it. You know, I always cared about it. I knew Lane was special and it helped me develop into the man that I was becoming. But when I went to Benedictine and I was playing, I knew I wanted to teach and coach. And, and actually I was supposed to do my student teaching at Downers Grove. Uh, and I, I already reached out to the coaching staff there and was kind of getting all set to start helping out there. And then it was just kind of a random deal where one of my old assistant coaches became the head coach and he called me and wanted me to be the head freshman coach, varsity assistant. I'm like, I would love to, but I'm not going to be able to commute for Donner's Grove to, to, to lane every day. Like, you know, so um, in, in Benedictine, Todd, you probably remember had like a rule against student teaching at your alma mater. Yeah. But, um, sure. It kind of worked out where our principal kind of wrote a letter on, on my behalf to Benedictine saying that we we're looking to hire Nick full time. And so I ended up student teaching at lane I was doing a 6 a.m. practice in the morning for the freshmen, a varsity practice after school at 3.15. Um, and then it was just like, man, fast forward two and a half years, the head coach who hired me uh, became the dean and the job was open. And the AD and I had a previous relationship and he hired me as the head coach at 25, you know, and um, was not ready. <laughs> but, you know, I think it just become, became a labor of love all these years. I just, uh, I think there's some kind of cool about being at, being at a place and seeing it kind of at a certain point and trying to just sink your hooks into it and try to make it something special. Um, it, Lane's always been special. We were just kind of getting the program to another level. Um, so that's kind of the deal. You know, it's just been, I've been there for 18 years now. Um, met my wife there. You know, my, my, my kids right now are in the neighborhood and, and we see them going to school there if all things stay the way they are. So it's just a special place to me. And, and I, I think we always say in our program, don't take special for granted. So I try not to do that. Uh, I think we've got a good thing going. So why complicate that? So perfect transition. Then give us a little bit about your program. You know what's going on this year. Uh, you know, just fill our fill our listeners in on your program in general and how your year's going. Yeah, uh, program in general. I think, as I said, you know, when I when I took over, the program wasn't. Uh, I know when I played there, I'll, I'll be honest, we weren't super competitive. You know, um, we weren't really on the map. If you if you kind of want to say that, and I think. Um, in the past six or seven years, um, we've really gotten to a, a pretty cool place where we, we finally got ranked in the top 25 back in 2018, 2019 for the first time in over 20 years, you know, we, we cracked that ranking. We've beaten some teams that are, are, I think on that tier that we want to be at and that, that high level tier. And I think we're scraping and clawing to get there. Um, I think we've earned a lot of programs respect. We've been invited to some of the, the bigger events in our state. 
Um, and, and now we're at a place where we want to continue to sustain that, but build on it. Um, I think we're, I mean, I think everyone says it, but I think we're in the toughest sectional. We're, you know, we're in 4A, we're the biggest class, but we're a high, high academic school, right? So we don't get to recruit like a lot of the schools do. Um, we kind of, we kind of deal with what we get. And so skill development's a huge priority for us. And uh, I've taken a lot of pride in being a program that can compete in the public league against some of the top teams in the public league with, with really we've had at best some D3, maybe a D2 guy here and there. Um, we have the first guy who's gotten a division one offer since I've been there in 18 years um, this year with the junior Shahid Salibo. Um, he's starting to get some attention, but um, as far as this season goes, we're, we're extremely young. This is the youngest team I've ever coached in 18 years. We have five sophomores up on varsity starting a sophomore and three juniors. Um, so we're, we're just, We've lost three games in the final minute, two games on buzzer beaters, you know. Um, so we're, we're trying to figure it out and learn how to win and, and build in chemistry. And as you know, you learn so much more from a loss. So we're trying to take it in stride and just one day, uh, you know, win the day one day at a time. So that's where we're at right now. So I wanted to follow up on something you said. So I uh, became a head coach at 29 myself, and I know exactly what you mean by when you kind of halfway joked, halfway not, that you weren't ready at 25. What was what were some of the things that when you became a head coach, you're like, wow, this is something I got to do too? Yeah, there's so much of it. So much of it, John. Like I remember, well, truthfully, I'll tell you this too. Within the same two, the, talk about transformational and like life-changing. Like, I mean, I, I wouldn't have it any other way, but I mean, the, the the previous head coach became the dean in uh like the first week of October. So the season starts in a month, right? And in that same week, I started grad school to get my master's in school leadership for my type 75 in a in a cohort through Concordia University. And I started dating my now wife, right? So like literally, I went from being single and being an assistant and not being in grad school to all like in the same exact time being the head coach with all the responsibility a month out of the season, starting grad school, um, which is, you know, it was a grind. And and then obviously trying to uh, swoon my now wife and keep her interested, you know? So uh, it was transformational, man. There was so much that you just, as, as an assistant coach, it's, it's, Hey, you know, we're, we're helping with game plans and scouting. We're, we're pouring into guys at practice. We get to be the good cop. We get to, you know, to help guys with player development, all the things, I mean, the, the stuff about basketball, it's basketball, right? It's, it's, it's mostly basketball. It's not scheduling and practice planning and, and uh booster club and, and all the nonsense and the CPS, there's a lot of, a lot of nonsense that you got to kind of deal with. So it was, it was a lot, man. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, transformation for sure. <laughs> Yeah, that that's a lot in one week. It, if you would have bought a house, I think you would have just hit them all at the same time, coach. Right. Uh, so we wanted to to really talk about USA basketball for a little bit with you, and you're obviously very heavily involved with USA basketball. Um, but before we kind of get into some of the three on three and some of the specific aspects, maybe just talk about your journey with USA basketball, kind of how you got started, and then your your definitely your connection with Don Walter. Yeah. Um, well, that's where it starts. You know, I think um, I think just like all of us and I still I pinch myself every time you say the, you say USA basketball. I think it's um, I mean, I think all of us, you know, I was I was nine years old in that dream team in 92. And I remember collecting all the cups from McDonald's and going through the drive through like all of us and getting the jerseys and waking up and watching the games. I have them all on DVDs behind me, you know, and 
I mean, it changed my life. I remember um, being an inner city Chicago kid. Jordan was my hero. Jordan was the GOAT. Um, Coach K went to St. Helens, which is the same school I went to. And even at nine years old, I knew that. And uh, he was an assistant on that team. And I think that's really, when you, when you talk, like basketball is a big part of my life already at nine. But at that point, I, I just remember that summer, it, it all changing. Like getting to see the way the game impacted the world and getting to watch just the, the world get swept up by the dream team and what they were able to do. Um, so from that point forward, it was just literally, I mean, I knew USA basketball was the gold standard, was the pinnacle. Um, and anytime I got a chance to watch them or the Olympics or whatever, you know, um, I was all in. And then I remember in 2004, after that, you know, that, that Olympic team with, with Iverson and all those guys, they kind of had that rough start and they lost to Puerto Rico. I remember watching it and like, man, what's going on? And they rebranded everything. They brought in Colangelo and coach K. And I remember I was just a junkie and I had been working the Duke camp already for several years and just anything I could do, anything I I'll do the laundry. I just want to be involved. Anything I could do to ever serve our country through the game that I love. It was like, you know, no doubt. And I remember I, it was funny, man. I just got a text from a coach who's watching like a Vivian Stringer DVD from like 2010. And there's a screenshot of me. It was it was at the uh, Wisconsin Dells and I'm in the front row taking notes. He's like, always a student. My buddy was busting my chops. But it was at that clinic that I remember seeing Coach Showalter for the first time. Um, he had just won his first gold medal at USAB. And uh, he was a, a 600 plus win high school coach in Iowa. And I'll never forget it. He was the first speaker that morning. And we're at Wisconsin Dells and he started his, his clinic by introducing his wife who was in the front row and his grandkids that were sitting there. And he talked about how they were going to the water parks afterwards. And I'll, I'll never forget it. And, and I was a young coach at the time. I was a new head coach at that time. And I had a lot of people in my ear telling me that like family and coaching didn't mix. I was about to, to be married myself. There was, and I was just, I was honestly, I was searching for coaches that, that did it the way that I wanted to do it, right? Like who were being successful, but also being family men who also were able to find that balance. And Coach Show did that. And, and I was, I was hooked. Uh, you know how like when you go to those clinics back in the day, the Nike clinics, when it's like a big and it's Cal, like all the coaches bum rush him like he's like, you know, the Beatles and they're asking for autographs and pictures and nothing. Coach Show gets that now. But at that point in time, he was still, I mean, he's a high school coach. Some of the coaches didn't really, he wasn't like the headline. I mean, I darted down there and I was the first guy to see him. And I just told him how much his presentation meant, even beside basketball. And we just got to talking and he invited me to work at Snow Valley basketball school in Iowa. And I was, I was all in the next year brought about six or seven players down by the following summer. We had 25 guys from Lane Tech going down his camp at Snow Valley. And I had started working it and he and I just, our, our relationship blossomed, you know, and then, um, sorry, it's a long winded story, but with the USAB stuff, it was kind of a tragic thing and talked about this before, but my cousin was, uh, was shot in inner city Chicago. He was shot through the head and through the spine. And it was a very traumatic experience. And I just got to thinking like, how can I turn a negative into positive and advocate for, for our, our kids in our city? And so I started like thinking about ideas of doing like free youth clinics through the park districts and three on three tournaments, which still three on three with USAB wasn't a thing yet. Right. It was just starting to be a thing. And I started reaching out to people at Snow Valley and Coach Show put me in touch with a guy named Matt King, uh, who's now doing other stuff. But he was in coaching for a while and got in touch with Jay Demings, who's the youth development director. But he now is also the three on three director. And he and I just got to talking. And that's kind of how that relationship started. Um, and then over the years with, with USAB, it was just service. It was whatever they asked me to do, youth clinics, 
putting together events, uh, putting on three on three tournaments in Chicago and then throughout the Midwest, just putting on events to help them and whatever they needed. We hosted one of the coaching academies at Lane. I was able to speak at that with Coach Collins and like, I mean, come on, like it was it was unbelievable, you know, and but then over the years, just more and more opportunities presented themselves on the three on three side and also on the five on five side. So um, I think that's kind of how it started. feel like that was long winded. I'm going to pump the brakes there. And uh, if there's other stuff we want to talk about with that, I'd be happy to, to kind of jump in. Well, let's kind of get into the nuts and bolts. Uh, first off, congratulations on the three on three coach of the year. That, that's Thank awesome. You. Um, and, and, you know, obviously you're recently at the tournament out there and, you know, you're going to experience that, but let's talk about how we can, as coaches, implement that more into practice and how it develops the, the game, um, you know, it, it, with, with skill development and, and tactical stuff, you yeah. know, kind of give us a little insight into how coaches can maybe put that in and, and help it develop their program. Yeah, Todd, I love it. And, you know, it's it's funny because that's kind of how it all started for me. Like, I remember thinking, like, we do so much three-on-three breakdown stuff as it is. So when I started really coaching the three-on-three stuff, um, I remember, like, I was doing a lot of, like, events and helping put on three-on-three tournaments. And I would get some of my, like, lane guys and neighborhood guys to play in these tournaments and just give them a little bit things, like little little quick hitters and sets here and there. But like what we started learning really quick was like, just like back in the day, man, when you're playing at the park, like defensively, you cannot hide. You got to guard your yard. You know what I mean? You can't take plays off. You've got to understand like it's you and the guy, you know, the guy you're guarding and you've got to make multiple efforts to defend. That's the thing we, we love. We do three on three in the off season now and fall and the spring. Like when we do open gyms, we do three on three tournaments sometimes and just let guys play. You know what I mean? Uh, but in the season, three on three breakdowns gets really competitive, right? So like you could be teaching a quick hitter or a set, but conversely, you're watching guys who can guard their yard, who understand rotations, who understand X and out if they make a skip pass and things like that. But but ultimately what I started finding um, was watching these events was like, you see who your dogs are, you see who your competitors are too, you know? So it's like when you're trying to really get a team to gel, I think it's a great time. We, we throw in th three on three tournaments now in practice at times, you know, like last 15 minutes of practice, all right, break up, figure out your squads, let's compete, you know what I mean, and and, and go at it. Um, so those, those are a few things. Some other things I'll, I'll never forget, um, prior to the to my first, like, head coaching assignment with the three-on-three -three side, it was right before COVID hit, and they were doing – it was uh, All-Star Weekend, right? So, I mean, we're literally two weeks before COVID hit, and All-Star Weekend in Chicago, and Jay called me up and said, look, we're doing the, the Olympic trials, right? So the men's and women's team that they wanted to kind of – select to compete for the olympic run in 20 it was 2020 but it became 2021 they're like we're doing in chicago all-star weekend and we were hoping because kara lawson who's at duke was the women's coach and a guy named joe lewandowski was the men's coach and kara was working with the boston celtics at the time so she was going to be a day late joe was a college coach in his own right he was going to be a little late they asked me to kind of put the teams through through practices and through workouts for the first couple of days and then ultimately, when Joe and Kara got there, they wanted to watch the team. So I was running the show. I was running the practices. And we're talking Kelsey Plum. And we're talking, I mean, you know, we're talking some elite level players on both sides of the ball. And uh, I was a little like shell shocked. I'm like, yo, I've, I've, I've done this with my teams, but I've never like put together a full intense practice for professional athletes like this. So, but what I found there and what gave me a lot of confidence when I became the head coach was that we're not reinventing the wheel right like 
they want to be taught. They want to be coached. They want to be built up. They want to have things that are going to help them be successful to win. And that's what it really came down to. We gave them some some competitive drills. We gave them some some breakdowns. We gave them some, and I talked to Joe and Kara too about what are some of the sets they want to see run. And that was it. You know what I mean? So at the end of the day, I think translation to the five on five, defensively can't hide. You're going to get some great sets. A lot of our sets anyway are three-man breakdown anyway, right? And you get to like the weak side drift and kick and one more stuff. So you put those guys on the weak side anyway, right? So you're working through your ball screens, your your main actions. And then, you know, so, so that's that stuff that translates. And then obviously the competitiveness. So I think I just read a little bit. Sorry about that. No, I mean, this is the, the stuff we want to hear, coach. This is why we're this is why we're here. So no, no worries. Um, all right. So we wanted to, to kind of get into your experience a little bit as as an athletic director. I know you're you're not the athletic director anymore, um, but, you know, I, I think you have a very unique perspective. And and the, the first part will be a little bit more vague and the, the second part will be a little bit more specific. But the first part is, you know, it, I'm just fascinated to know what's it like to be an athletic director of a school with four thousand or more kids that that's got to be like the biggest puzzle in the world. Well, I'm going to I'm going to keep it vague because I know there's a follow up, but I'm going to say this. First of all, that question in and of itself, if you just take it there, right, an athletic director, we have four thousand six hundred and fifty students. Right. We have every IHSA sport except for uh, badminton and gymnastics. But we also have 16 inch softball, which is a CPS sport. Right. Then we also have club teams, hockey um, rugby, right? So like we, and we have over, we have roughly 2000 student athletes, but in addition to being the athletic director, I also taught in the English department and I was the head boys basketball coach. Um, so how was it truthfully, if I'm being honest, um, my flame burned out a little bit, you know, um, that's why I'm not doing it. And, and, and plus I have three young kids here, um, you know, banging on the door next door right now. Um, so it was, it was a lot. It, it was, it was, um, as much as I love Lane and pouring into the place that I love, it was just too much. It got to a place where I wasn't enjoying waking up and getting to work every day. And I loved every second of Lane up until really the past few years, but it just got to be too much. Um, and I think honestly, asking anybody to do that much, you're going to get burnout and, and there's going to be things that fall through the cracks. And I'm a super competitive person and I wouldn't let myself not do it for a very long time. Um, I went for a full six years doing it with all of that. And um, inevitably things were, things were not getting the attention they deserved uh, around me. So I had to make the decision to step down. So I have a, just before I get into the other part, I was going to ask, I, I'm just thinking logistically from scheduling with all those sports you just said, and and I I've been to Lane. I'm I'm playing there next week in the in the shootout. But yep. you know, how do you even go about scheduling that big calendars? Like, how does that even occur? It's just fascinating. Well, I'll tell you, it's um, again, labor of love. I don't really have the right answer because I'm not doing it anymore. You know, we yeah, we did it. We did it the way we we saw it best. Um, I had an amazing assistant athletic director with me uh jane Millsap, who helped me run the show for six years and then this past she stepped down before i did i'm um, trying to find her balance work-life balance and then a guy named brent bradish stepped in and now he's the athletic director um and in his time now that he took over this is his first year cps finally freed up the ad of teaching so he doesn't have a full workload and he's not coaching which is the way it should be truthfully mm -hmm. right so i think it's it's getting the the attention it deserves there's now an assistant principal over athletics 
There's the AD, right? He has two assistants and he's not teaching, right? Or coaching. And truthfully, um, with any school, that's how it should be. With a school our size, with everything going on, that's how it should be. But scheduling was a nightmare. And and further, a lot of people see Lane, you know, we have this beautiful, you know, we have, we have a huge castle of a building. The football field's adjacent to it. We got Kerry Woodcups Field. But what people don't understand is that the Lane Stadium is owned by Chicago Public Schools. We don't own it or operate it. So we don't have full reign on that. So like in the fall and in the spring, think about scheduling. Well, we have in the fall, we have two big programs with football and boys soccer that need that space. And then in the spring, we got well, uh, we got girls soccer. We got boys lacrosse, girls lacrosse. Right. Uh, and I'm missing I'm missing another one. But we have a, a boys and girls track. Right. And we don't we don't get to operate it. So I can't just schedule it how I want. I, I want to schedule it. And then I have to go to the people above me at CPS to get everything approved. And then inevitably CPS schedules games there for non-CPS schools. Every day there's games. So we have to work around them. Um, so even scheduling in and of itself is extremely hard. Yeah. And then none of it gets approved. You have to redo it and redo it. And I, again, I can write a book. I think I could really write a book about it, but I'm going to stop. And uh, It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> I, have a, I have a headache as you were talking about that. Um, and then uh, we we've asked a few we've we've had a few coaches that have have coached in the public league, you know obviously you know you kind of just documented some of the challenges and and we could go into some of the challenges of coaching in the public league but you know what are some of the rewards of coaching in the public league that you know maybe some coaches that you know coach out in the suburbs or or coach in a, the the Catholic schools or the private schools what are some of those rewards that you just get in the public league? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think that's why I'm still you know, doing what I do, um, because there are, there are countless rewards. I think personally for me, um, like I'm, I'm answering as nickel gobble. I'm not trying to give a blanket answer how a lot of people would answer it. Um, I'm a product of Chicago public schools. Um, I think that being an inner city Chicago kid has made me the man that I am. I think truthfully, there's a toughness and a resiliency that comes with being someone who has to, you know, uh, go through, just just being being a city kid, I think there's a lot that comes with that. I think uh, Lane is a really special place. I think it's a unique situation within the Chicago Public Schools framework where you have the high academics, but you also have this monstrous campus um, and you have such a diverse community. You know, I think that's one of the big rewards. I, I just think about me as a the man I am today. Uh, I went from a small Catholic grade school. I went to St. Helens, like I said, Coach K where it was predominantly white. It was Ukrainian and Polish. Mostly there were some Hispanic kids in the class, right? But um, I got to Lane, you know, and it was a melting pot, right? And I just learned a lot about life, not just a melting pot in terms of like race and ethnicity, but a melting pot in terms of socioeconomic background. And, and with Lane, you could test into the school from any, you have to test to get in. Over 10,000 kids take the test, the selective enrollment test every year. Um, so we're talking about kids from every corner of our city, coming to school in one place and think about like i also i was you know taught english for 18 years think about that english classroom think about us reading shakespeare and trying to trying to pull out segments of this text and sharing our personal thoughts from from all of our varied perspectives like man unique it's it's very different so i think that's one of the huge rewards is that we don't all look the same we don't all talk the same we don't all think the same and that's that's the way the real world works and we need to be open-minded and learn from each other. So I think that's one of the huge ones for me. Um, number two, I think, obviously, when when you see, obviously, in, 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 in being a product of Chicago Public Schools, 
you're going to have some kids who are less fortunate. You are going to have some kids who are going through things that, um, you know, other, other districts aren't dealing with, right. Just literally having, having food and clothes, right. Getting enough sleep. Uh, mom and dad are working or it's mom or whatever. Like, and again, you're going to have that anywhere. I'm not trying to say it's just uh, unique to, to public schools, but that happens. And we see those kids figure it out and overcome those obstacles. And, and, you know, we all, a big, big, uh, big Ryan holiday guy. I don't know if you guys read Ryan holiday at all obstacles, the way and all of his books, but I'm very big into that stoicism stuff and like figuring out a way to get through it anyway. Life's going to deal you a deck and, and you're going to have to make, make do. And, and I think that's one of the really cool things about being a CPS guy is that you help find, you help give kids uh, the questions for them to find the answers to figure their, their to figure it out. And um, that's another big plus. I can go on and on with the rewards, but I'm going to pump the brakes on it there. All right, so let's go a little bit more X and O's here. And I want to I want to talk in terms of three on three. Obviously, you mentioned you're coaching high level athletes. Um, and when they get into games, they have sets and, you know, things, a lot of more things they can do. But yep. what are maybe what are some of your favorite actions and things that came out of three and three that you like to apply to your offense? And that like even maybe middle school, yep. high school teams can run because we, we all we all know, you know, the higher level you get up, the more you're capable of doing, the more time you have to work on it. Yep. But a lot of times at high school, it, it, you know, it's a struggle to try to either get the time or, or be consistent with this. What are some of those three other actions that, you know, you feel like are really, really good and, and, and work really well for you and maybe just teams in general? Well, I hope no one we're playing next week's listening. Um, we got, you know, honestly, a lot of the stuff we do out of horns now and the five on five side is stuff that we tailored to our three on three. Um, simple stuff like just elbow entry, get a flare screen, like the point guard makes the entry, right? We get a flare screen off of that. But that isolates that elbow, right? So, like on the women's side, Michaela Williams, who's the three-on-three player of the year, she's the number one recruit in the country going to LSU. Like, honestly, nobody could stop could stop her at that elbow. Like she reverse pivoted. And if you gave her room, she was just drilling that jumper. And if if you got up in her, she was ripping through and getting to the rim. I mean, it was like our go-to action whenever we needed a bucket. And and everyone knew it, and nobody could do anything about it. Um, so we actually run some of that stuff where we'll empty out that corner. We'll get the elbow entry flare of the point guard off and isolate that elbow. But then we'll do a lot of stuff where it's like get action in the flares. It's so hard to guard, you know, like elbow entry, fake the get action or use the get action and then flare that initial guy off of the other elbow. Like it's it's really, really hard to guard. And actually, I'm not going to lie to you. We stole that action from Estonia because Estonia uh, the first year I coached three on three on the men's side, we played them in the first game of pool play. Now that first year I coached three on three with the men, we're talking about I had, you know I had four guys on that team that are probably NBA guys, three guys that this year are already projected top fifteen in the draft, right? Grady Dick at Kansas, Keontae George at Baylor, and Kyle Filipowski at Duke. Like, and we almost lost our first game because Estonia just those guys are three on three. They play year round. They were all six four. And they could all shoot it and they ran their action, boom, get action, flare, flare, backstreet. Like they were just killing us. And we had to really dig down deep and win that game in the final minute, um, which it could have derailed the whole thing. You know, you lose your first pull play game, you don't know how it's going to shake out, but we figured it out. And we ended up seeing it in the gold medal game again. By the gold medal game, we had buttoned up our coverages, but man, is it hard to guard if you got a shooter and you got a guy who understands just IQ and spacing? So um, those are some of the things we do. Um, we also, 
just like simple stuff like just spacing and lifting everybody and just understanding two-man game like dribble at if you're overplayed backdooring if you're not using that dho and just understanding spacing and technique i know it sounds really obvious but like i know that when i when i would have two-man actions in before i coached three on three i was like okay go play two-man you know and we do it and it was it was somewhat effective but like now when you do on three on three and you really get into understanding like hey if that defender's foot's over the three-point line you're backdooring every time like we've created signals like just all that kind of stuff has just come naturally from the three on three side of it now is applied to five on five so that's some of the stuff we do um and obviously if you got a big just figure out how to cross screen and get that post entry you know, three on three, it's impossible. You couldn't stop Kyle Filipowski, seven footer, like no one could do anything with him. So we did a lot of things just to free him up with back screens into the post, cross screens into the post. So. So we wanted to get in and and again, I, I am not a CPS coach, but I am in the same division in the IBCA as CPS. And, you know, one thing I know that you and I have both said in meetings, just talking about how to connect the city of Chicago's coaches and the yeah. challenges that that has and the because of the vast landscape and the, the different places. And so how do we continue to build those partnerships between coaches in the city? And should there be like a, a specific city of Chicago coaches organization? We'll start there. Yeah, great, great question. I actually, we played Ignatius uh, well, a week ago and Matt and I started talking about it again before the game at Monroe, um, just about what we can continue to do. Um, some of the things, like we actually were going to host one of the first IBCA um, satellite clinics at Lane, literally COVID hit and we had to I shut remember. it down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we had Rob and Ty and myself and a bunch of the city guys that were going to speak. Um, I think I think there's a lot of a lot of reasons why there, there's some barriers, but I think there's a lot of room for growth. I think ultimately what happens, unfortunately, is that if you see some success in the city, um, you, you, you will try to move on to greener pastures because it's so hard to be successful in the city unless you're at one of the elite powerhouse schools where, let, let me be honest, there's some schools that do recruit and get transfers and like they can sustain success because of the athletes they get in the building. But a lot of the inner city schools we face, like, gyms they don't have a weight room they they can't even practice with all three levels because they have one gym and it's used by both programs right like there's just a lot of reasons you don't see sustained success by a coach in inner city chicago because once you see some success at a school you usually move on right maybe it's college or maybe it's um you know a suburban school but it happens a lot we've seen it a lot and i can get into examples but i'm just gonna stop there you know i think that that's one reason i think the other thing is that um like you said, it's just such a wide, vast landscape, like city of Chicago from north to south, east to west. There's just so many schools. And truthfully, I think a lot of coaches that don't know as much about it as they should. Right. There hasn't been a great pipeline at their school. One coach goes, it's like a, you know, a turnstile of coaches coming in. No one has laid the groundwork for them to understand. Hey, I'm a new coach. I'm, you know, mid 20s. Like, how do I learn more? How do I grow? Well, the IBCA, they offer these free clinics like unfortunately there's just not a lot of communication about it so i think us you know coaches that are in district one or coaches that are working with other city coaches have to be advocates have to have to make sure the coaches know what's going on um like we you know jim tracy had a great one at uh when was it in early october you know we rob smith got inducted in the hall of fame simeon this is last year he was speaking uh i spoke we had some great coaches speak 
And uh, it was it wasn't super well attended, but I'll tell you what, there were some city coaches there. They made their way there. Some of them were new coaches, and man, were they attentive? Were they engaged? Did they ask questions? So, like, it's definitely something I think has a lot of room to grow. And I think there are coaches who genuinely care, but I just think we need to have more opportunity in the city so they don't have to drive all the way out to the suburbs. So they they know that they can get to this place pretty easily. Um, and, and and again, it's it's marketing, you know, and it's just continuing to communicate. All right, so wanted to to jump in on on uh, the good work you're doing on, on gun violence pre prevention. Um, you know, maybe give our listeners a little bit about what you've been doing and, and how they can get involved, and, and especially ones that live in Chicago. Mm -hmm. uh, anybody who grew up around here, even if you grew up in the suburbs, you're passionate about Chicago. Um, you know, we realize that there's there's a problem that we need to fix not only in the city, but wherever we may, wherever we may be. Um, so just kind of give us a little insight on that and how, how we can all get involved and, in, and try to make it a better place for all of us. Yeah, no, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's bad. I mean, it, it's, it's bad everywhere, right? Like it's, it's an issue everywhere. Um, you know, I, I try not to get too political when I talk about this stuff because it's something near and dear to my heart. And I understand I'm, I'm somebody who tries not to get too political. I understand the landscape that we're in in the past five to 10 years. It's been it's just been very hot topic and and, and people get turned off. But I think ultimately, no matter what uh, we get into, like we got to understand that this is a problem that too many young people are dying um, and being injured. Um, there are regulations that can be no matter no matter your political agenda or even your belief on the amendment. Um, there are things that can be done to to help, uh, you know, curb the trend that we're seeing. You know, we're the only country in the world that has this type of um, pandemic. <laughs> we're the only country in the world that's dealing with this the way that it's happening in, in our country. Right. And obviously uh, it happens in different ways in our country. Right. But in inner cities, uh, communities specifically, it happens a lot. I think there, there's a lot of reasons. But I'll say this, you know, I think being an inner city educator for almost 20 years now um, and, and th there are a myriad of things that go into it. Right. But it, it's this cyclical thing. Right. There's there's under resourced communities. Right. There are uh, families without uh, father figures uh, or, or or two parent households. Right. There are children who are going to schools and it's not school at all it's it's a it's it's a war zone in some communities right and it's like it's just getting home safely is the thing they're worried about the most right the, the thing it's the thing they're not worried about their math test the next day they're literally the most cons their day is consumed with man am i going to get home safe today right um when my cousin was shot it i mean it changed my life obviously it, in, a, in a very negative way but it also opened up my my blinders to a lot of things and I'll, I'll never forget, I had a student in my class, I'll, I'm not going to name names or whatever, but this was back in 2014, but I had a student in my class, and again, Lane, inner city school, I, he was from Inglewood, right, the Inglewood neighborhood, we, we've heard about Inglewood, Derek Rose from Inglewood, and it's, 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 it's had a lot of bad rep over the years, but he talked about how like, he's like, Mr. Legabo, we all feel for you, and we know how much pain you're going through, and we're really sorry, but he's like, and I, he, he didn't say it in a malicious way at all, but he's like, I just, 
maybe it helps you understand a little bit about what my what I'm going through as a young black male uh, every day, every day, right? And and I'm an inner city guy, right? But I'm also a white male in inner city Chicago. I was able and fortunate enough to go to a Catholic grammar school. Um, we couldn't really afford Catholic high school. I would have been at St. Pat's, but we I ended up getting into Lane, right? And I was very lucky to get into Lane, but you know, there's, there's so many things that go into being, uh, j just being an inner city guy, but also just being a, a teenager, right? Like if, if you're not getting home, if you're worried about getting home safe, you're going to try to find safety, right? So obviously gang violence is such a thing for so long, right? And now it's, it's, it's branched off into a million other things and intricacies, right? Um, so there's that. Um, so obviously, I'm sorry, I could get worked up, but it's, there's, there's obviously policy and, and laws, right? There's providing work and providing opportunity in underprivileged communities, right? There's leadership seminars and training for young men and women who are in really rough neighborhoods and just in Chicago in general or in neighborhoods in general that could use it, right? We did uh, Coaches United Against Violence. We had a bunch of inner city coaches get together and we worked on bringing in different people from different communities and different leaders, right? We brought in members of the uh, Chicago Police Department. We brought in coaches. We brought in uh, former players. And I actually got Coach K to do a video and he spoke to about 400 inner city basketball players about being leaders in your school and what that means. And being on the basketball team is a huge deal. You get to be a leader and you could you could actually change somebody's life by maybe making a good decision one day and helping somebody through something. Right. So, like, again, there's a million things that we can get into. It's not a one pronged answer. Um, there's a million different things we have to look at. Um, I give a lot of credit, you know. Uh, Arnie Duncan, what he's doing in inner city Chicago right now with all his Emerson collective. And just, he's providing opportunities. Um, he's providing resources. Uh, and, and he's someone who we actually did gun violence rallies at lane. He was one of the speakers I had as well. And I've learned a lot from him about what needs to be done. Uh, but there's always more, right? So I'm going to uh, pump the bricks there again. Sorry. I it's a very heated topic for me, but uh, there's a lot, there's a lot we can do. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's, it's just something that any of us are going to get heated about. And, and, you know, Todd and I can relate in, in where we are employed every day about, you know, getting to and from school. And, you know, I, I do think it's, it's something Todd and I definitely wanted to speak to you about because there, there are things. And I think we've seen this week with some things in the NFL, but there are sometimes just things that are bigger than basketball that are bigger than coaching that just need to be discussed. So uh, before we move on, thank you for all that you've done in that area. No. Uh, I appreciate that. But obviously, you know, there's still so much more to be done, you know, and I, I mean, I just recently talked to a coach of mine in our league and he's, he dealt with another one, another shooting on his campus. Um, and it's, you know, it's, I'm not going to lie to you. What's really sad is so much of it. Nobody, nobody hears about, nobody knows about, you know? Um, so uh, there are a lot of things we need to do, but I appreciate you guys using your platform to, to bring up the discussion. Hopefully we can keep doing more. So I wanted to, to kind of shift into an interesting topic. And we've, Todd and I have talked to a lot of new head coaches and we've heard a ton about establishing culture, a ton, like almost every new coach we talked about is establish a culture, establish a culture. Yeah. But I wanted to hit on something new with you that we really haven't hit on with anybody else. And it's when you've been a head coach somewhere for a long time. How do you maintain the culture and that fight of, you know, the, how do you continue the standards? It's real easy to turn it around. Well, not easy, but 
those steps later on about maintaining it. And then when the culture drops off a little bit, reviving it. Yeah, man, that's such a good question. And honestly, I think you're scratching the surface on a topic that needs to be the focal point of more podcasts and more coaching clinics. I just recently reached out to a few people you've actually had on this podcast and guys that I consider mentors and literally want to sit down and talk with them about this very topic because uh, it's like you said, it's one thing to take over and you're energized and you have all of your ideas and you're going into something new, right? Where you could just pour into it. But now what happens where, okay, hey, maybe uh, you got it going and maybe you lose a lot of seniors. And this has happened to our program a couple of times, right? Like it's, again, cyclical things. So now you need to, like, when you have people that have been in your program and they understand, like, I could share with you too. I have a whole, I've actually spoken to the coaches clinics, uh, a coaches clinic for CPS over COVID about culture right and and it's like we have our our pillars and our four c's and our standards and our mantras and we have all these things that we say every day and that we talk about and they're on our practice plans we have all that but what happens we graduated nine seniors last year right so there's a lot of things like we kept a lot of seniors it was a covid year there's a lot of things going on but we had nine seniors so last year we're talking culture, right? Our seniors are able to perpetuate that culture. They're, they're speaking the same language I'm speaking. They're finishing sentences for me. And again, I had a kid, the Malloy family. I'm sure, I mean, you probably have heard the Malloys. Megan's our head women's coach, but I had a gaggle of Malloys, right? They're, they're The younger brothers were point guards for my program. I think I had a Malloy in my program for like 10 years, right? So it's like when the, the youngest Malloy, Sean, just graduated, his older brother, Michael, was my point guard for three years, started as a sophomore, right? So Michael's getting chewed out every day. I'm pouring into him. I'm getting him to buy into our culture. And he was a big part of us getting ranked in the top 25 and beating ranked teams. Like he was an unbelievable player. But Sean was, you know, in middle school watching this every day and hearing his brother talk about every day. And then Sean comes in as a freshman and now he's just like a sponge and he's able to, you know, perpetuate that and all of his buddies. Right. And now they graduate. Right. And now, like I said, we got five sophomores up on varsity. Our, 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 we got a junior who's getting offers, right? But they're not all immersed in it, right? Like a senior-laden group is, right? And even the seniors that we have in this year's team, they're great and they're competing, but we really have one vocal senior and the rest of them are more like try to lead by example type of guys. So, so your question is very like timely because it's like, man, we've worked so long and actually it's ebbs and flows, right? So I've been at Lane for 15, 18, 15 years as the head. And I feel like this is the third time where we've hit this, not restart, but almost like you said, re maybe re-energize the culture a little bit because we're not necessarily like system stuff is changing. Obviously our, our players, our personnel is different. We're not in college. We can't recruit to a system. So our, 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 our system's a little different, but you know, our, our culture, the things we say is the same, but now it's getting this team to speak that language. It's getting this team to fight for each other. So, so a couple of big things I'll say to it, I'll say maybe three or four bullet points here. Number one, I think, and you say this and it's cliche, but it's culture. You fight for it every day and it never ever is just arrives. It's never there. When you think it's there, it's going to sweep out from under the rug because you're going to have to re-energize it again, right? Your, your players are your culture. You as a coach are, are, are someone who is going to help perpetuate it and you're going to lead it. But ultimately, real culture is when players take the lead. And I think because we're in high school or in college, players change every year, right? So 
it's never something that's done. It's always evolving. It's all, it's, it's a completely uh, dynamic thing. It's never static. Um, so that's the one thing I'll say. Number two, this is something actually a, a snow Valley thing. Dave Bullwinkle, he's actually a scout for the bulls and he runs this business called coaching on and off the court. And he and I really hit it off at snow Valley. And um, I remember I, I got to go to one of the bulls practices and he and I just got to talking and he does these leadership trainings. And I'm like, man, we would love to have you at lane. So this was like the first time we hit this re-energized button for our culture. We had a, another team. We had some success the year before. We uh, we It was 2014. We graduated a lot of guys that were pretty good. We played Simeon really tough in the city. We're feeling ourselves, but everyone graduated. So now I know it's like, oh, man, how are we going to get this going? So Dave Bowenkel comes in and he says, all right, Nick, we're going to do a leadership training. But before I lead your team, I need to know more about your culture. So he just sent me some guiding questions, right? What is your program's vision and mission statement? Like, you know, like a business, right? Like you're the CEO, this is your business. What is your vision and mission that you that you let guide your program? And I, I'll be honest with you, I was in, I was a head coach now for five, six years and I didn't have a vision statement articulated. I, I think I knew in my brain what I thought it was, but my players couldn't speak that sentence if I asked them, what is our vision statement? And it's like, Think about any big business. And now I teach a sports communications class at Lane. So we study branding and we study like the successful businesses, right? Like I think about like Ikea, for example, right? They're thriving, right? As, as a business. And their vision statement is to make everyday living better for the many people. And I just fell in love with it. That has nothing to do with furniture. That's their vision, right? How, how they articulate that vision is their mission. And it has to do with, with building furniture, right? So like it got me, it hit me like a ton of bricks, like, man, here's, you know, let's, let's develop our vision, right? Um, to compete every day together as a family or to reach our highest level of competitive greatness as a, as a family and do it together every day, right? Like that's our vision statement. And then you build into your mission statement and then you build in your pillars and then you build it. And so I have all of this articulated. My players probably think I'm crazy because they don't have to talk about it nearly as much, but it's there. Right. And that guides everything that we do and nothing ever deviates. Now, we may alter things from time to time as I evolve as a leader, as we bring in new coaches, as we get new players, things may tweak. But ultimately, our foundation since 2014 has not deviated really very much. Right. So I think that's another great way you fight for culture every day is you can't really, you know, you got to have some things that make you who you are. Right. And then I think I'll just say this last bullet point. Like. You got to know who you are as a program. You know, I, I don't, I, I look at college. It's really helped me deal with the ups and downs of our season. Like I look at Creighton, I think they were eight. No, they're, they're killing their top 25 They're and they go on a six game skid. What's changed, right? Their culture hasn't changed. Their players haven't changed. They have an unbelievable coach. They have great talent, but that's the game, right? That's why we show up and play it every day, right? That's, that's why we do this. So I think at the end of the day, you as a program, you got to figure out, okay, what do you hang your head on? Who are you as a program? And for us at Lane, we've learned, honestly, we don't have the talent that Whitney Young has. We don't have the talent that Simeon has. We don't have the talent that Kenwood has. We're, when we're not, we're a super high academic school and we're going to be tough. So we say we're going to be tougher and smarter than everyone we play. And that's kind of become our DNA. So in our drills, we really try to make sure, look, everything we do has layers has things you have to figure out. There's a time and score, but there's added components to it. We've got to be mentally tough. 
we got to be smart, right? And I think that that is something that's kind of permeated who we are. It's kind of helped us build a DNA. Uh, and we can hang our hats on that every day. You know, depending, you know, our system will change, our players will change, but this is who we're going to be. So I think I've answered your question. <laughs> oh, that, was, that was tremendous. Um, so we're going to go same kind of question being at lane right now we're going to go x's and o's though um you know and you mentioned your x's and o's kind of change depending on who you have right you're not recruiting to your system but i guess how do you go about deciding what to keep deciding what to kind of get rid of and maybe when do you know it's time to kind of all right we got to look at something else here because i think that's that's a question not only year to year but like even in your season you know you have best intentions you think I think this is really good for X player, but, you know, I think we can do this. And then all of a sudden you're like, you know, whatever it is, you look at the analytics, you look at the numbers, you know, like for me, for example, but you look at, you have synergy, you have all this stuff where you can look, well, that's not really working. And you have hard yeah. evidence to say, yeah, that's not, the, that's not going the way you want it to go. So what do we got to do here? So, yeah. you know, when do you start looking at that and deciding what you're, what you're keeping and, and all those things? Yeah. And you know, it's funny, like we have, um, we have a new head freshman coach this year and my sophomore coach has been with us for a while, but he's in his third year as our head sophomore coach. And we had a lot of meetings this off season, just the three of us as the head coaches of each respective level about like making sure we're consistent across the board. So like our freshmen and sophomores of varsity are running a lot of the same stuff. So we don't have this, you know, when freshmen become sophomores, there shouldn't, I mean, certainly there's going to be nuances at each level, but you got to have some of your core stuff there. It's got to be consistent. So I, you know, we got the whole playbook together. We got our sets in this and that and everything. But now, you know, our freshman coach is is watching our game on huddle, and he's like, "Man, you started uh, three games in a row with the same set, but it's not in the playbook. Like, what set is that?" <laughs> and it's like, "Well, we threw that in because uh, it, it, it's just a variation of something we were doing. Because look, at the end of the day, we have a sophomore big kid, like sophomore who's six 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 seven kid who's playing." way above where truthfully where i thought he would be he's he's been tremendous so we had to start getting him some looks out of sets early to get him going right so that's just one of those little things we did to say hey look here's a set we have let's add this wrinkle because we need to get this guy going i think obviously all of us as coaches do that that's the easy one when it's like hey we got a kid who's playing well let's get him some looks but on the other side of it when it's like hey man i really thought this set would be great for for x y and z and we're just not getting anything off of it, right? Like we had this year, we had a, like a one-four high set. Where we we're kind of swinging the wings and trying to get two guys into some side pick and roll stuff. And we just were never even really getting into it. I couldn't figure out what it was. And we just tweaked something in that set. And now we're getting to it, right? And I think at the end of the day, always having your antennas up and never being married to the play, I think is just, I think that's the answer, right? Like, don't be married to it. Never be too proud. Like I think us as coaches, sometimes we get like, like we got to show the players how much we know, right? Like this is the sets we're going to run and this is what's going to work. Anything could work and anything cannot work, right? It's about your players. It's about them buying in. It's about, it's about getting chemistry. It's about getting timing. Um, and sometimes you just got to like throw an audible, you know, I think being adaptable is, is hallmark of a great coach. Um, you can't be married to a system. Uh, and, and I think for me, truthfully, I, on the other side of the coin, though, I think sometimes when I see a team who's so good in their system, I sometimes wonder if we're missing the mark by not just 
like killing someone with the same stuff over and over, all three levels running the exact same thing. Um, we obviously have a core of everything that we run, but we have sets at the varsity level that the lower levels aren't running, right? And I wonder sometimes if I'm missing the mark there, right? I don't know if there's a, a perfect answer for it, but I think to answer your question, staying adaptable, understanding when something's not working, maybe there's a wrinkle or maybe there's just something you can do that's better. Maybe there's a, a better way to get into it because at the end of the day, players score points. You got to get them in their sweet spots. You got to get them understanding, you know, how to play off of each other. Um, and, and ultimately, that's really what it comes down to. It's not about you as the coach. It's about getting your players to perform. So that's something I've really been learning the past three, four years or so. Like, it's not about my pride. Like, let it go. <laughs> Let's figure out what works better, you know. Or sometimes it's just like, well, more reps. You don't need, you know, you also don't need to like just change it after a week because sometimes it's just reps and the chemistry clicks too. So um, not really an easy answer. I think it's very situational. So, well, I, I think both the last two questions we've asked you about maintaining culture and altering X's and O's, I, I think, as you said, I think if we had, you know, a 10 coach round table here, I think it would be vastly different answers and, and vastly different ways for all of us to learn. So I think yeah. that's what made those two questions interesting um so as we get into our last two segments the first one we call 30 second timeout um it's your opportunity to discuss anything you want about yourself or your family or your program or something you want the listeners to know about or turn the tables and ask todd and i a question any anything you want to talk about the floor is yours wow that's great um well i will say i think two, i'll say two things you know number one um and, and speaking to two guys too that you know, I've talked about family before we jumped on. I think um, being a coach and 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 finding that work-life balance is really important. So I'd love to hear a little bit from you guys about how you do that. You know, I think um, we we want to be great fathers and great husbands and great sons and great uncles or whatever, but it's like being a coach demands a lot of our time in and out of season. So I don't know that I have the perfect sweet spot for that yet. I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, so that's, that's the first thing that I, I would, well, actually, let's just, I'm, I don't want to run. Let, let's start with that, man. I'd love to hear what you guys have to say about that. All right, Todd, you got the kids. You go first. You know, man, this is definitely more more recently in the last last couple of years. You know, I was at Varder for a long time, a long, long commute, things like that. I just kind of decided, like, when I get home, as much when the kids kids are up, you kind of just put it put it away. Um, yeah, you, or, you know, I've been trying to involve my oldest in like, we'll watch WNBA games. And, you know, when I'm doing stuff for the podcast, she's asking me questions and, and things like that. But, um, you know, involve them. But most of the time, it's just kind of put it off to the side, do it later, do it early in the morning. Um, easier said than done sometimes, right? When you have the scouting report due at midnight and you're like, oh, what about this and what about that? But even something as simple as like, I usually just have a notebook and I'll just write it down so I remember it come back to it, come back to it later. Cause we all know we're sitting there at dinner and right. Oh, what about this? It just pops into your yep. head, right? You're like, <laughs> Oh wait, hang on, hang on. You know? Um, so yeah. just kind of try to write it down or even use my notes on my phone. Just put it real quick, put it back. And, and that's back the, just where my feet are. So, you know. Exactly. Be where your feet are. Cause like things pop in your brain. You're just sitting at dinner and like, Oh, but like to, I do that too. Just type it on my phone and I'll get back to it later. You know? John, I didn't mean to cut you off, but that was very timely. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I, I think we all kind of do that. Sometimes I email myself and uh, something. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, you know, I would say, and, and coach, I'm I'm actually going through the, when you mentioned grad school, I'm doing grad school right now. I'm finishing uh, degree number three and done. But, 
it, it is one of those things where in 2022, along with, you know, everything else I have going, I took eight classes and uh -huh. to try to balance all of that, you know, so I, I would say it's a two pronged approach. I would say one being very organized, I think helps me because um, it kind of takes out the kind of the fluff time of like, what do I do now? What do I do now? What do I do now? Um, and then the kind of to go off of something Todd said is I'm, I'm a much better thinker in the morning. So if I got to get up at four 30, five o'clock and do my work, then I, I'm much more productive. I know. And I think, so the second part of it, I would say is know yourself. I know if I start something at eight, nine, 10 PM, it it's one, it's not going to be done well. And right. two, it's going to be like, oh, this is on TV. Oh, this person wants to talk. Oh, this yeah. is going on. So I think it's uh, the two things I would say are one, be very organized. And and one of my assistants loves to make fun of me and, and will say to people he's anally organized. And then they're like, what you're going to say that about him? And he's like, I'd say that to his face. Yeah. Um, and the second thing is, I think just know yourself and know when you could be productive and you know, at other times know that, Hey, I'm not going to be productive right now. And actually I would add a third thing is have people in your life that maybe aren't your family and friends that you can talk through some things with. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, Todd and I are, you know, with each other are both very good. Um, you know, last night or two nights ago, we just talked for half an hour about nothing. And sometimes I think, or, you know, we'll be on the, on the road on the way home and, you know, it's just a good 20 minutes to just vent about the game or vent about the practice or vent about what happened so that when you get home, that's done. Like you, you've moved on and, and you're done. So I, I would say those are three things. That was really good. I'm actually, you know, got, got that down right here on a little note. Um, I think being where your feet are is huge, right? And what you said, like organizing, knowing when you're most productive, knowing yourself. Like when I try to do stuff at night and I'm like the super competitive, like I'm going to get it done and I'm staying up. And it's like, I've been on this one thing for an hour that will take me two minutes if I just wake up early and do it, you know what I mean, before my kids get up. And I got to be better about that. And then, like you said, man, it's so crucial. Maybe maybe we can develop that relationship, too. Just having people to talk to, you know what I mean? Like, so important. When it's not in your program or in your family, just somebody yep. else to just vent. Um, yep. Love it. Those are really good. Really good. <laughs> Well, let's, I, I be would, honest, let's be honest, we're all getting older. We can't hang as much as we used to. Yeah, well, right. that too. <laughs> Staying up late is not a good thing for us. Exactly. But, you know, I would I would also add just in something Todd and I have, have really learned from this podcast and developing these relationships is, you know, when you have all these other coaching relationships, you know, like I, I texted somebody that was on our, our show a couple weeks, uh, a couple months ago, and he actually spoke to our team, but then just running ideas off of them. Like last night I was, I was frustrated about something and I brought it up to him and, you know, he just, he was like, bang, 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 here's ideas. And I think you become so clouded sometimes when it's your program and so frustrated and so emotional. And one of the statements he sent back to me was don't let emotions get in the way of learning. And that kind of, that kind of helped me readjust myself and think like, okay, yes, my, my emotions are clearly influencing my ability to learn or teach anything right now. So that's John, that is like, literally like exactly what I needed here. Cause that's exactly where, where we're at right now. I've been so clouded and so, emotional about this season like any it, it sucks the joy right like when you like it's just not clicking right at this moment right but you got to stay the course you got to you got to keep showing up every day it's the only way it's going to get there you know and uh, i i think i needed to hear that and that's kind of the other thing i was going to bring up was just like handling the ebbs and flows and the ups and downs as long as i've been doing this i still 
Uh, we're all competitive. We all want to see our kids do well. We want to see our programs do well. And it's like, even if you win a game, you should have lost, but you won. You're not, you're, you should, you should be scrutinizing it and breaking it down, but you're not as critical because society tells you a win is a win, right? So if, you know, we're three possessions away from being, having three more wins and three less, like we're literally three possessions away from three more wins and three less losses, right? Like two buzzer beaters and a shot, we had to win a game. You know what I mean? It's like, if I, if those three possessions go a different way, I'm probably a much happier person right now, you know? Well, but And, and yeah. I think something for the both of you, just while I'm thinking about it, and, and this is now my, maybe my new favorite 30 second timeout, but you know, it's, it's also just that when, as a coach, when you, when you, like you said, maybe you play an opponent that's not as good and, and, you know, you want, you want to celebrate with your team, but you also want to show them, you know, maybe this wasn't the best version of ourselves. but then you have to find that line between, am I being too negative right now? Am I being overly positive right now? And, and I think it's just that line. Yep. No, spot on, man. This is good. Therapeutic too. <laughs> All right, coach, last segment, quick hitters, rapid fire, random questions. Oh boy. The, the um, wheels, the wheels fall off usually. Yeah, now, this, so. is where it gets, this is where it gets fun. <laughs> Uh, your your best or like you know funny uh, USA basketball story, a, a good experience, something fun that happened, whatever it may be. Jeez, there's so many, man. Um, well, I'll go. I'll tell you what. Three on three stuff. Getting getting to travel with a group of young men and women out of the country, and for some of them, it's the first time being in another country. There, I mean, you can you could probably, you know, figure out that there are just so many random crazy things that kind of happen with a bunch of 16 17 18 year old kids who've never been on the country being in Deberson, hungary this small town you know and just and the first year we went it was covid so we were stuck in our hotel room so that i'll say that's the to me one of the funniest things that we had was that first night we get in Deberson, the first year we're coaching this team we're all about business we're all you know but like we've just trained for a week here in chicago we get to Deberson after you know essentially two days of travel or day and a half of travel whatever it is and we get to the hotel room. We can't leave our, the hotel. We can't go into the town. And the meals for the teams aren't set up till the next day. So I was like, all right, what are we going to do with these kids for essentially a day and like a whole like mid-afternoon to the next morning? So uh, the coaching staff, that was Kelly Carruthers, she's at a, a school in uh, Texas, Bowie, Bowie High School. She and I were like, yo, we have to we created like this whole trivia night, like, and it got intense. And we, we had the men's team and the women's team and we just got after each other and we played too, you know, but I'll never forget this. I actually had ruptured my Achilles tendon uh, the, the four months prior playing basketball with former players, you know, talking smack. And uh, I was still hobbling around pretty good. And uh, Michaela, she, we were doing like a, a scene where they had to like uh, impersonate. It was, it was like a, why am I forgetting the name? You had to essentially guess who the person was being. And she got me and she was just hobbling around and everybody lost it, you know? I mean, then for the whole trip, like they were just making fun of me, you know? So anyway, that was, that was a big one for me, for sure. It, it is interesting when your players imitate you to, to see uh, oh, yeah. what, what they really hear and see. Yeah. Um, so this actually kind of goes along with what we talked about in the 30 second timeout, but what is something, and for you away from family, coaching, teaching, what's something you do just for yourself? Yeah, I'm a very big, I think you see from behind me, I'm, I'm a big reader, uh, podcast guy. Um, and, and honestly, besides reading and podcasting, like honestly, my life is is very, very simple. It's family time and basketball. And outside of that, I'm trying to read or podcast. 
uh, work out or listen to music. You know, those are the things that kind of ground me. Um, obviously hanging out with friends when I can and, and making sure I maintain the relationships that are really important. I think as we all know, probably as we get older, our circles get smaller and smaller, but like, you know, your A1s, your really important friends, you got to make sure you're making time for them too. But that's really it, man. Reading podcasts, workout with some music, sitting in my yard, listening to music with the kids while we're grilling. You know, yeah. I do that a lot. I grill, I'm going to grill tonight. Like we just, we, it doesn't matter the weather I've grilled in, you know, 40 below. Um, I just enjoy that. Um, but then obviously making time for friends. My my good buddy Todd remembers Adam Hansen, best man in my wedding. I was the best man in his wedding. And um, he turns 40 this weekend. So we're all getting together and uh, we're going to get to hang out a little bit. So, um, I mean, oh. that, that's that's the big one. If that crew is getting together, that could be uh, oh. that could be a good, <laughs> a good time. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Like you said, man, we can't hang like we used to. So we'll probably get together early afternoon and have yeah. a dinner and probably be home by nine. So. Right. Exactly. <laughs> All right, so maybe the I guess we'll go weird or interesting thing about a, a school that's built in the 1930s, like a giant, right? Ca like you said, castle-looking school. I'm sure there's there's some interesting things. Oh yeah, well, so Lane's been around since 1908, but you're right, that campus since the 30s. So we're one of the oldest schools around. Um, there's so many little nooks and crannies of that building. You know, there's a whole basement that people don't really know about. Um, hmm. There's, there's a lot of, of, of things, you know, but I'll tell you this. It's not really funny. The coolest thing to me about our building that, that a lot of people, unless you went there, know about. Like, the building is this huge castle, and it's funny. Like, the classes are split up right down the middle of the school. It's it, it's it's really like a big A. I can't really do it with my hands. It's like, it's like a big A, right? And then in between that A, there's a memorial garden. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the most beautiful places in the city of Chicago. There's these sculptures and ponds and trees and um, people that have taught there. There's like mem uh, memorials for them. These There's bricks with people who have fought and served in our country that went to Lane there. Like if I, I honestly, there's been, especially in the AD days, when I needed to get away, I would literally just go sit out there away from everybody and just reflect and just make some time. That's um, one of the coolest things about the building. And then the other fun fact about Lane is the, the odds are on one side of the building, odd classes and evens are on the other. So like your first day of school, oh, you might boy. have a class in 231 and your next period is 232, but it's on completely the other side of the school. And oh, a lot of kids don't get that until a few weeks into the building. So um, that's always fun. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, just speaking of that garden. The I remember last year <clears throat> when we were there, uh, we had a classroom that just looked into it. And I kind of just sat there for a second at halftime when everyone walked out and I kind of just looked around because like you said, there's so many memorials and and is there a spot where there's like it's I think it says lane in the middle of it? Yeah. The bushes yeah. carve yes. out lane. Yeah. 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 So that 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 was just really cool. Well, can uh, I tell you one more quick story about yeah. that that's really messed up actually? So I would when I was teaching core English, I would bring my English. This is actually kind of a really messed up story. I'm gonna share it anyway. We uh I was teaching something out there. I think we were reading, you know, Romeo and Juliet, and we're all sitting around the pond and it's spring and sunshine and birds are chirping and like there are all these baby ducks in the pond and I didn't know this, but like adult ducks will feed on there. I don't know what happened, but like the ducks got attacked oh. and it was traumatizing. All these freshmen kids in my class were like screaming and crying. Like it was a, it was nuts. It was one of the scariest things I ever saw. We all ran back into the building. It was crazy. I don't know why that happened or how it happened, but I will never forget that. Talk about a teaching experience. <laughs> I was going to say that's not in the manual anywhere. <laughs> no. 
Um, all right, fun one. Breck, are you a breakfast, lunch, or dinner guy if you only having one meal in a day? Dinner all the way. Dinner, you break bread, you're with your family. Like I said, I grill all the time. I'm a big steak guy. So dinner all the way. I was gonna say, so what's like your go-to thing you grill? Like if if you were having people over, you want to show off, what are you grilling? I'm getting some nice ribeyes. Um my wife and I do a lot. We we grill everything. We get a lot of balsamic and olive oil. We get vegetables. We we mix them up. We got like a little grill pan. So we got vegetables. We'll do some potatoes, you know, um, but I'm a big steak guy. Um, so that's kind of my go-to for sure. Obviously, birthday parties and stuff, we're doing burgers and dogs, but I'm a big steak guy. All right. All-time player you'd like to coach in three on three? All-time. All-time. Anybody. I mean, well, it's it's a really hard answer. Like, I'm a Jordan. Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan, whatever, right? And I think his competitiveness. But I'll say this. Like, you you got KD on three on three. I don't think you're losing any games with his ability. Because in three on three, the, the two is to one is, you know, like two is the one is three is the two. It's double the point value. And you're playing to 21. Like, mm-hmm. if you try to cut KD out doing anything he wants to do, he's shooting a two over the top of you. And he shoots it with such proficiency you can get to the rim so katie's the answer i think coach galbo we can't thank you enough for joining us um for those of you that have never heard coach legalbo phenomenal resource uh, whether it's usa basketball or high school basketball or, or promoting the city or um anything to do with basketball um we really encourage you guys to uh use the coach legalbo as a resource he's phenomenal to learn from I appreciate that. and learn a lot from you guys, too. I love your podcast, and I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you for listening to another episode of the After the Timeout podcast in concert with the Illinois Basketball Coaches Association. Please remember to give us a five-star rating wherever you may listen. For more show content and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout and subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. Thank you for listening.